Professor Geffen conducted extensive experimental laboratory testing on wound dressings in general and gelling fibers in particular. And this podcast centers around his findings. Thank you, Professor Geffen, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. What are the roles of a wound dressing? What makes a dressing successful in a clinical setting? Well, a dressing, which is the oldest medical um, device that I can think of, has to essentially replace the skin. It's a skin substitute. It has to provide the mechanical protection, it has to provide the thermal protection, it has to provide the biological protection that our native skin is, um, is delivering to us. And on top of that, since the dressing is applied on damaged skin, so there is no, there is no skin where dressing is applied, and the exudate fluids that are uh, secreted from the uh, vasculature and the damage site also need to be handled by that dressing. So on top of the normal function um, that uh, the dressing should, should deliver in, um, in protecting the body, where there's no skin, it should also handle fluids. And from an engineering perspective, and I'm a biomedical engineer, that is a very challenging problem to deal with. What are the consequences of poor fluid handling performance of a dressing? Well, when the skin is um, exposed to uh, moisture or wetness, the mechanical integrity of the skin is compromised. The most outer layer of the skin, which is the stratocornium, is very sensitive to moisture and um, wetness. Basically, the stratocornium dissolves when there is continuous exposure to moisture. The skin is also made of layers, and these layers are locked upon each other. Uh, they have what we call an interlocking mechanism. And that interlocking mechanism is also compromised by the um, existence of uh, moisture and wetness. So basically, whenever there is a sustained exposure to wetness, the skin is weakened, it becomes less stiff, it becomes less strong, it tears very easily, particularly under shearing loads. And addressing needs to prevent that from happening. It needs to prevent wound fluids exudate from reaching the peri-wound um, area, the skin in the perimeter of the wound, so that that skin will stay mechanically intact structurally intact and will continue to support the healing. And the latter point is very important because it's the peri-wound really, which is the reservoir for any healing process. Uh, the peri-wound contains the vasculature, the peri-wound skin contains the fibroblasts, uh, which ideally would form scar tissue and would close the wound and would contract it, uh, the myofibroblasts. And all of that is coming from the peri-wound. So any damage to the peri-wound, particularly damage to the peri-wound that is caused by addressing, not handling the, fru the fluid properly and allowing it to affect the, uh, the structure of the, uh, the peri-wound would compromise eventually the healing, would cause the delay healing or even under extreme conditions, no healing. And, and so that role of addressing to prevent the peri-wound from getting wet and then being damaged by the so-called maceration 
type of damage, that's one of the critical roles that a dressing has. What is a gelling fiber dressing required to deliver in terms of fluid handling? A gelling fiber dressing is typically used as a filler, as a wound cavity filler. And it needs to occupy the space of the wound and absorb and then handle, manage the fluids that are secreted there. And needs to do that in such a way that there is adequate absorption and also retention of the fluid in the dressing. Uh, that is, the fluids are not only initially absorbed, but they're also staying in the dressing. They're not returned back to the wound surfaces. And also that gelling fiber dressing needs to clear that fluid away from the wound cavity, eventually through evaporation. And that typically happens in clinically realistic scenarios by the fluids being transferred to a secondary dressing, which is applied on the wound surface to protect the wound. And that secondary dressing needs to, again, absorb and retain those fluids from the primary gelling fiber dressing and then release them gradually to the environment through evaporation. So basically, it's a team play here. The first line of uh, mitigating the exudate is um, the primary dressing. And then that primary dressing delivers the fluid to the cover dressing, to the secondary dressing. And then the secondary dressing releases it to the environment. That All of this needs to happen in synchrony so that there's not too much fluid that is absorbed suddenly in the primary dressing and not come and not going up to the secondary dressing. So basically the primary dressing and the secondary dressing need to work together. And then there, there needs to be this um, adequate evaporation from the secondary dressing, from the cover dressing to the environment. And all of that needs to uh, happen consistently regardless of the patient's conditions. So it doesn't matter if the patient is lying on their wound, which can happen in, in many clinical scenarios. For example, when um, you treat, um, say, a sacral pressure injury and you need to ventilate that patient, often there's no choice but for the patient to um, apply their own body weight on the wound. And so that complex of the primary dressing, the gelling fiber dressing, plus the secondary dressing is now, is now subjected to, uh, to forces. And there is gravity that is pushing fluids from the wound into the dressings. Let's take another scenario. Say the same patient, but now prone. Now it's a completely different scenario. The dressing has to still function and absorb and retain both of the dressing, both the primary and the secondary, despite of the fact that gravity is actually pulling the fluid downwards. So the only way for these um, dressings to manage the fluid is through capillary action. So a good dressing, a good gelling fiber dressing needs to deliver consistently regardless of the clinical situation. And, and again, we can, we can go on and, and think about diabetic foot ulcers uh, where the uh, gelling fiber dressing is exposed to in non-offloaded wounds to not only body weight forces, but to intense body weight forces that uh, can reach uh, basically a person's weight. And that's a lot. So it's not just the weight under the bottoms, it's the weight of the body because these are plantar um, foot ulcers. So the, the foot is taken, taken half or um, in some cases, 
most of the body weight and, and then the dressing, despite being distorted and compressed, still needs to uh, deliver the same outcomes as if it would be totally offloaded. And those features of uh, fluid absorbency retention transfer to the secondary dressing and from there to the environment need to happen regardless of the patients, the practice, and the ambient conditions, that is. So, for example, how much humidity is in the environment? And, and again, from an engineering perspective, these are uh, quite, um, quite a challenge. How does the structure of the dressing affect its fluid handling properties, such as the size of the reservoir and uh, the capillary motion of fluid? In mechanical engineering and materials engineering, and that's um, my background, uh, we, we refer to uh, the structure function principle. And the structure function principle, where structure is typically the microstructure and function means all these properties of absorbency, retention, which eventually translate to the clinical outcomes, the structure function principle relates them. Basically, what it says is that if you have a certain microstructure, that microstructure of addressing would deliver certain mechanical functions and certain uh, fluid handling functions, and that would be eventually translated to a certain clinical outcome. So in other words, different dressing structures deliver different outcomes. And there is no such thing as a generic gelling fiber dressing. And that basically applies to any dressing, including foam-based dressings and, and, and any superabsorbent dressings, any type of dressing technology that you can think of. All these dressings are, are inherently different in their microstructure and that would translate to different performances and performance metrics. And you can basically just put any type of dressing under a microscope. And if you take micrographs, microscopic images of these different dressings and you compare them, you, you see different worlds. So for example, with gelling fiber dressings, you would see different densities of dressings uh, oh, sorry, of fibers, different directionalities of fibers. You would see that the fibers may align in certain ways or merge in certain ways or that they're separated or that there's voids between fibers. And all of that would affect um, those properties that, uh, that you've listed. So, so the, for example, the uh, capillary action of a dressing would depend on the density of the fibers, the number of the fibers, their orientation, how they're aligned in the dressing. And, and they're not the same. They're not the same across manufacturers. They're not the same across dressing types. And that's something which is very important for uh, clinicians to understand. The fact that the dressing is called a gelling fiber dressing, it means that it has fibers in it. These fibers can be made of different materials, and these fibers can come in different densities and come in different directions. And eventually, each product has its own idea, its own... Um, set of these microstructural properties that determines its function in the clinical setting on that specific wound on which the dressing is used for treatment. I'd like to take um, a few minutes now just to talk about uh, the importance of dressing staying intact at all times. What are the consequences of a loss of structural integrity of a dressing while it's in use? It's important to understand that 
dressings during their life cycles and their life cycles can be, by the way, quite long, from a few hours in a minim- at the minimum, but up to uh, five days or more in reality. So a dressing stays in a wound for a long time. And over that time, during that time, it is exposed to different types of mechanical forces. Although ideally, you would want a wound to be offloaded and and free of these mechanical irritations that may compromise the healing. That often doesn't happen. And I've mentioned that earlier in this conversation, that sometimes patients apply their body weights on a dressing, or it is a part of a treatment that is a conscious decision that is made by a clinician to compromise on the wound in order to achieve a better outcome in a different aspect of the clinical treatment. But other than the body weight forces, there are these sometimes unintentional contacts with, of the wound and the dressing with objects rubbing against the bed sheets, against clothing, against any external objects. But ultimately, ultimately, the, the climax of all of this, in terms of the exposure to the mechanical forces, is where a clinician is removing the dressing. Now, some clinicians are doing that with their fingertips with the glove fingertips, that is. Some clinicians would use forceps, but in any case, doesn't matter how you do that, that dressing, which has been exposed to, say, um, an aggressive, almost a violent environment of uh, fluids and temperature and repetitive mechanical forces and low pH or high pH, quite an aggressive environment. Now the dressing needs to be tolerant to the exposure to these intense forces that are applied by the tip of the fingers or by forceps, creating what we mechanical engineers call stress concentrations because you're applying a force on a very small contact area when you're pulling out the dressing. And the dressing sometimes resists because it is um, adhered to the wound or because it's a tunnel wound and the dressing is folded within. And so there is friction. And so when you're pulling it out, you're applying massive forces on the dressing. And this is perhaps the most critical moment at the end of the life of the dressing, where it's supposed to be discarded, disposed, where after all these exposure to the environmental condition, it has to stay intact. And staying intact is critical because if the dressing leaves particles behind, any debris behind, that debris would be seen by the body by the body of the patient as a foreign body. And the body reacts quite dramatically to foreign elements. And these foreign elements don't need to be even macroscopic. They don't need to be large enough so that we can see them. They can be microscopic. So particulates of the dressing, microscopic debris of the dressing that is left in the wound bed would be considered by the immune system as as a foreign element, as a foreign body. And the body will try to encapsulate it and separate it, isolate it from the rest of the body tissues. That's a natural process that occurs in response to synthetic materials in the body, which is called a foreign body reaction or a foreign body response. And basically what happens is that cells, immune cells, such as as macrophages, and also fibroblasts, uh, which are the cells that synthesize collagen, are recruited to encapsulate those particles and create kind of shells around them. And any basically cell that is busy with that 
is not a cell that is participating in the healing process. And we are talking about patients who are patients. That is, they are, they have compromised immune system responses. Typically, they have background conditions such as diabetes for diabetic food ulcers or other health issues for those who are exposed to, uh, to pressure ulcers, for example. And what we're looking at is patients who have limited resources, limited biological resources for uh, promoting their healing, from promoting their wound healing, and then addressing which is not staying, which is not staying intact, is compromising and further demanding some of these limited resources to be allocated for the dealing with the, the mess that the dressing has left behind, as opposed to healing the wound. Right? It's like what what the body is doing basically in wound healing, the body is recruiting an army, an army of cells with different specialities. Now, if all these, and and again, with uh, patients uh, having these different health conditions, uh, background diseases, these armies are not not the best armies that uh, that you can find. They're already having uh, limited resources. And now any cell that has been recruited to do the wound healing and is now busy with something else that is dealing with the debris that the dressing has left, is not participating in the war, in, in the war of wound healing. So addressing must, stay, must uh, stay intact at all times, and particularly when it is being removed. And by the way, the fact that you don't see addressing coming out intact doesn't mean that it's actually stayed intact. It means that it did not leave macroscopic particles behind. But you, you still need to consider that there is an option for addressing to leave microscopic debris behind. And there, the mechanical integrity of the dressing, the mechanical strength of the dressing, and its durability, that is, the strength after being exposed to the high temperature, to the low pH, to the high pH, to the enzymatic um, agents uh, in a wound exudate for days, that's where the ability of the dressing, the durability of the dressing to, to tolerate all of that becomes critical. So the potential implications of addressing that has a directional strength preference, um, that, that really influences the ability to stay intact while it is being removed, correct? Correct. So as I was saying, gelling fiber dressings are typically being used on open wounds that are cavity wounds. So basically, this is a this is a filler material. You apply it into the wound, typically by folding it inside uh, so that it fills the void, fills the cavity there. And once it's there, you don't see it anymore. And now it's also being colored by the exudate. You don't see the structure anymore. And you want that dressing, when you pull it out, you want it to behave the same. That is to have the same strength and the same durability, no matter how you pull it. If you pull it in this direction, if you pull it in that direction, if the dressing has a directional preference, for example, there are dressings in the market which have reinforcing fibers, stitches, basically, that gives them structural reinforcement, but only along, obviously, the direction of the stitches. If you pull them out of alignment of the stitches, they will, uh, they will very likely fail. And so if you have such a dressing where you don't see those stitches, you don't see these reinforcing fibers that supposed to give the dressing this extra strength and this extra durability, 
and you're pulling in a random direction, and unless you have um, an X-ray vision, you will always pull in a random direction because you can't see the structure of the dressing when it is folded in the wound. I would say that in 99.9% of the cases, you would not hit uh, the jackpot. You would not align exactly with the, with the direction of the stitches. And then it is very likely that your dressing would not be as strong and may leave some particles behind. So when you look at gelling fiber dressings, you really want to have the dressing having the same durability, the same strength of the material in any direction. Doesn't matter if you pull it uh, 45 degrees or 90 degrees or whatever orientation that you're using, the dressing will always behave consistently and provide the same strength. Thank you so much. This has been so informative. And, and I want to thank you again for taking the time and for joining us on Speaking of Wounds. My pleasure.